Hello, this is Mark Godaker, the resident alien in North Carolina, USA. This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who podcast, we bring you an interview with the delightful Louise Jameson. Hello, one and all. Good to have you company for another episode of the Doctor Who Podcast. Another amazing episode for you today. The, the surprises just keep coming. But with me here in the camper van to introduce our special offering is James. Hello, James. Hello, Trevor. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I'm really quite looking forward to this one as well. Um, this interview with Louise Jameson was, was recorded on stage. It was at a convention held, ooh, it was last month, but it seems a lot longer ago than that for some reason. But uh, I, I was fortunate enough to interview Louise Jameson for half an hour or so and was able to record it thanks to Ian's technical genius. And this is what you're about to hear now. But uh, but Louise Jameson, Trevor, I have to say, is the third time I've interviewed her now and she really is delightful. That is quite the right word to use to describe mm. her. And, um, you know, getting up on stage when you're used to sitting behind a microphone on the computer is pretty daunting and therefore you're more or less at the mercy of the person you're interviewing to to feel comfortable and start talking you know the way that you would normally talk and and still generate a a reasonably interesting interview and uh, she she made the whole process so much easier of course the uh, convention that you uh, captured this amazing bit of audio at was the uh, big blue box 2 convention recently we must do a big shout out and thank you again to uh, Stephen Elsden for for making all this possible and also allowing mm. these interviews to be uh, featured on the DWP so without further ado without any more prevaricating over to your interview with Louise Jameson. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Louise. You're gonna I have to blame um, Nigel and Big Finish for keeping me chatting. And then Stephen. Stephen's a little panicky. Where's oh. James? Where's James? But uh, anyway, it's lovely to see you again. Lovely, lovely to speak to, to you, you again. So uh, I understand you're not feeling too well. I'm not well, no. Ah, oh, go on. Oh. So not too many, not too many difficult questions. No. Back. Let's talk about Leela. Back to the beginning. Can you talk us through the the casting and uh, the audition process? How how vivid are your memories uh, about that? Uh, well, apparently, I found out a lot more later. They asked Tom if he'd like to come in and be part of the process, <laughs> and he uh, refused because he didn't really want a companion. Harumph. <laughs> Um, so Pennant read The Doctor, and I got, uh, I think, four recalls, three or four recalls, and originally they saw 60 young women, and then it was 10, and then it was six, and then it was three, and then it was me. And Pennant said he gave it to me because I made him work. 
when, it, when he was reading The Doctor and I was reading back Leela, he said he felt he had to respond, which is why I got it. Pennant Roberts had a little black book, uh, which every actor he'd ever seen was written in there. And he had lots and lots of little stars by each actor. He never let anybody look at this book. <laughs> but I stole it one day. <laughs> and uh, I have five stars. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, he gave me that, and he gave me Tenko, so I have an enormous ah. amount to be uh, grateful to Pennant for. So, so when was it you first met Tom, then, if he wasn't there during the audition process? Mm. One of my recalls, I was asked to go for lunch in the... In, it doesn't exist anymore, in the posh bit of... Uh, uh, gosh, sensitive mics, hi. It's like got some kind of monster coming through the... <laughs> well, I did see a Cyberman earlier on. <laughs> And uh, we were sitting at, a, at a, the waitress part rather than the canteen. Mm. I think it's the only time I've been in there. And, um, and he was up there having lunch, and he had his scarf and his hat and his coat, and he was like, oh, yes, give me a hand. And he said, oh, yes, 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 very, very pleased to meet you. And off, like, that, that was, it was as quick as that. I thought, <laughs> you're not pleased at all. <laughs> um, and then the next time was the first day's filming. Uh, uh, the jelly baby scene. It's true then, the evil one does eat babies, that mm -hmm. scene. Um, and because the BBC had this weird system where you didn't rehearse the filming, you just went straight into filming, and then you'd rehearse, and then you'd do all the studio stuff. So the filming never got rehearsed properly. So it was, we were really thinking on our feet. And I, I clutched this, I was in full costume and makeup, and I clutched this deeply unflattering pink quilted full-length dressing gown around me for, for most of the rehearsal bit. And Pennant came up and said, you've really got to lose this at some point. So I, so I took it off and there was this silence <laughs> in the studio. And then, and then somebody broke the silence going, oh, I don't mind lighting that for the next year or two. <laughs> so I was... I was all right after that. Well, it, it's interesting you mentioned the costume. I mean, I mean, how how much of an impact does that have now? I mean, is, is it something that the greats that that's one of the first things that people remember or refer to when they think of Leela? You know, acting's kind of part spiritual, part brothel, isn't it? Really, <laughs> it's it's sexy. It's a very sexy profession. Mm. And you know, you put a young girl in a in a leather leotard, and I, it, it it's inevitable. And I was, you know, lucky enough to have a body then that could that could take it. So, I, and I didn't see it. I still don't really. I didn't see it as gratuitous because because she was brought up in the jungle. Maybe mm. that's just me being totally naive. You know, she's brought up there. She would wear leather. She needs something that's very comfortable to move in. There was a lot of humour to be got out of it. You know, when she appears totally inappropriately dressed in, in modern day. And I think it helps, <coughs> I think it really helps identify a character if they have one costume. And then I know I dipped in and out yeah. of it, but there was basically one costume. And I, and I think it only promotes you as a character when, when that happens. I mean, look at the long scarf. It's become a sort of iconic piece of costume, hasn't it? So... I think it's interesting when you look at some of the companions. Um, I, I think Leela was a fairly, very, very carefully crafted character between, well, Chris Boucher and Philip Hinchcliffe, as, as it turned out. And, and Robert 
Holmes because I, you know, he was editor at the time and had yeah. a very clear idea of what he wanted. And, and it's it's interesting that they take a, a new a new take on the companion, but uh, because Lena's brave, she's up for anything. I mean, I think you've used the term on many occasions. She's uh, she's uneducated, yeah. but she's not unintelligent. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's that's a fantastic concept. The whole Eliza Doolittle yeah. idea. And then they put you in a leotard. <laughs> and it just almost seems it's a little bit counterbalanced. But, I mean, how, how do you feel that character develops well, we from were that starting the, point? We were at the beginning of that, you know, the life reflecting art, art reflecting life. We were at the beginning of that whole feminist, mm. you know, women's lib, as it was called then, phase going on. Um, and so they, they gave somebody, you know, this, as you say, powerful personality, mm. but took her clothes off to do it so I, I suppose they felt they were keeping everybody happy I don't know <laughs> maybe that's what it was perhaps. and also it would be impossible to have replaced Liz you know what she did with Sarah Jane was you know obviously hugely mm. popular and there was no point in trying to recreate that it was important to go for something completely other and I th- certainly think they were quite brave and perhaps ambitious to take such a uh, a move away from what had been such a successful companion in the past. I mean, I had um, I, I had a bags of uh, um, fan mail then. I think more more than I've ever had mm. at any other time. Um, and I still do get Doctor Who fan mail, but it was I mean, it was literally coming in sackloads then. And I, you know, you're great. You're much better than the last companion. Da 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 da. Like this. And then yeah. one of Lizzie's bags of. Got, got muddled up with mine <laughs> and he was like can't you get rid of this new girl she's dreadful can't you come back and there was such a leveller to, to go yeah remember this yes Doctor Who found him fickle mm. <laughs> <laughs> strange that um, how, how do you feel I mean in, in a way now you, you've had the opportunity to take that character that you you assisted in crafting all the way back in the 70s and you're still you're still developing her now with Nigel's plays uh, we've just been talking to Nigel a little while ago about how you know <laughs> I've got to ask this question in a minute but how he's how he's developing Leela at what point did he say I've killed her off you didn't actually <laughs> did you did you do I had to read it like what <laughs> had Nigel left the country at did that point that? Or, uh... <coughs> but uh, it's part of a plan isn't it Ah. So we're I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> no, I mean I think this, looking at the plays that we we have heard, because of course this started some time ago, 2002, 2003, yeah. with the Catalyst and Empathy Games, and that I think really, really focused on different elements of of Leela's character. Certainly, um, the way that she articulates her feelings. Uh, of course, don't, you're not giving an opportunity to do that so much within a TV show when you're opposite Tom. How, how difficult was it going from that position with the New Companion Chronicles to then going back to playing an assistant with Tom oh, for Big no, Finish? no problem at all. Really no problem at all. I think it's a lot to do, weirdly, with the kind of rhythm of her speech because it should not, could not, would not. You know, there's a kind of... once you. Once you hit the rhythm of a character, it just kind of slips in, mm-hmm. really. And they have been more um, <coughs> generous with the assistants, you know, as indeed the new series has. The companion gets a you know, m- much better crack of the whip than, than we did back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, no, I wouldn't say it's been hard at all, actually. I mean, occasionally, I think, 
oh, she's only speaking in questions, you know, <laughs> it would be nice to have a bit of an opinion here rather sure. than searching information, but mm. no, I think the writers at Big Finish are amazing. I mean, we, um, we, we talked last year uh, about your recording with, uh, with Tom again. I think it was, it was a little bit fresher at, at that point. But um, how, how's that relationship developing well, with great, Tom now? you know. He's a, he's a pussycat. Did I ever think I'd be saying that sentence? <laughs> he's just, he's extraordinary. Mm. And he, um, and David says I tell him off. David Richardson says I tell him off. I don't, I don't realise I do. But when he oversteps the mark, as he does on occasion... <laughs> I just go, Tom, and he stops. <laughs> so he's learned. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's, uh, been, he's been very publicly and very uh, generously apologetic mm. about the way he treated me back in the day. But I have to take some responsibility for that. You know, I was quite prickly, I think. Oh, yeah, but it's also your second or third telly job yeah, ever, I yeah. think, after Tom Brown's school days. And, Gosh, you, uh, you really know things. you're... I'm very impressed. That's all right. I've left my notes in the dressing room as well. How about that? <laughs> Putting them out randomly. <coughs> but, uh, but certainly, I mean, this was, this was the first time that you got some regular TV. I, I mean, did you... Emmerdale. Yes. With um, Fraser. First person to die in a soap, <laughs> off camera, but nevertheless. So, so, yes, I'd done that as a series, six episodes. Six episodes, and then you went on to do, as it turned out, 40, or 41, if you include Dimensions in Time. Was that that children in need? <laughs> you've, you've deleted it from your mind. Yes, you, you returned to Albert Square. Um. <laughs> did you, who saw it? I did. Did you I, understand it? That's everybody. <laughs> You should have seen what it was like before I got hold of it. I mean, I was like, mm. well, it's still like, I look like Minnie Ha Ha. <laughs> I, I, I think you've answered this question, but what are your, what are your memories of... Uh, My memories? Yes, are, of Dimensions. Uh, okay, well, um, Sylvester turned up late and hung over. Because <laughs> he'd had an opening night the night before. <laughs> and Colin and Peter had got their bit of script and gone, no, no, Sylvester will do that, Sylvester will do that. <laughs> so by the time he arrived, he had about three pages extra dialogue. Um, and we had this gorgeous German cameraman, because it was the early days of the Steadicam, but they were incredibly heavy, like big yoke thing. Uh, so he had to be incredibly fit. God, he was lovely. <laughs> uh, so I was between the hungover Sylvester, who just makes me laugh, and the hunk of a thing and uh, not understanding the script it was a very odd day indeed did you spend a lot of time talking to the eastenders cast no, at all not at all no no just no <laughs> <coughs> it was, i just don't think there was time because we were just you know there was so much to do in no. such a short space of time i'm fascinated to see whether or not all of the doctor who crowd went in one side of the set and oh, all right. of the eastenders went to the other side of the set and then a couple of years later you would have switched groups. There, there I was, yeah. yeah. There I was being Rosa Di Marco. Another <laughs> couple. A few years later. Yeah, yeah. You just said how good my research was, oh dear. No, no, no. <laughs> 98, 98? Yes. Think? Yeah. So when was Dimensions? 93. It was the oh, 30th well, yeah, anniversary. Later, yeah. So, yeah. yeah respect. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of celebratory pieces, uh, we've, that was the 30th anniversary. We've got the 50th anniversary coming up soon. Uh, what, what would you like to see, or how would you like to see Doctor Who celebrated its entire Well, Sylvester, history? again, Sylvester had this idea. I think it's a brilliant idea. It'd be quite expensive for the bee, but mm. they, uh, 
he said, why don't they do an episode where they call in as many from the classical series, the old series, as possible, and just give them the tiniest of parts so that you'd be like, um, like the barroom scene in Star Wars. You know, we'd all be there, heavily disguised, and a couple of lines of dialogue each. It would just be wonderful for the hardcore fans, wouldn't it? Because you'd be like, spot the extra. <laughs> so what do you think about that idea? Yes? Yeah? yeah? It's good. I'm, I wonder if they will do something like that, or whether they'll do something a little bit more, more celebratory, perhaps. I don't uh, know. To try I mean, and bring if they brought Leela back. back, I think she'd have to have a football team of kids <laughs> and be some kind of shaman guru type. Yes. I, I, Someone's I think... just come through the TARDIS. Oh. There you go. How about that? Uh -huh. I can interview you properly now. <laughs> he says. You did yes. really well. <laughs> but yeah, a, sh a shaman of kids, it would be interesting, I think, certainly, given that I wouldn't have given the chances of the marriage with Andred much chance no. of producing one child. No. Um, but <laughs> what was that about? What was that about? Well, it's, it's interesting, and again, I hope I'm not going to be spoiling anything, but that storyline is, is um, examined in Gallifrey, the series of Gallifrey that you've done for Big Finish. Oh, yes, yes, it is, yes. A much, mm. In a much more profound way, yes. Yes, in much more detail. Despite the fact that you've only recently started uh, performing in plays with Tom, you know, relatively recently, you've been at Big Finish for a very, very long time. Yeah. And if, uh, if, if you try and Google the number of plays that you've taken part in, it goes off the end of the page. That's my pension. <laughs> but, um, and I've directed Katie. Yes. And how, how was that? <laughs> actually <laughs> it was great i i was told that she actually because she's so nervous because she really wants to get it right she sort of resists going into the sound booth mm. and i was told that on the one before me i can't remember who directed it now lisa maybe it took two and a half hours to get her from the green room to the sound booth. <laughs> and I thought, no, my patch. And we, <laughs> so we're in the green room, she's going, I just want to, and I'm going, oh, well, we can sort that out in the booth. And I just mm. held the door open. And in she went. And we got on, it's like once you got through that first page, mm. she was terrific. But she's just nervous, it's funny. Because I think people do have an image of everyone who's in, who's in Doctor Who. They have an idea of what they're like from interviews yes. and so on. But I think working with them gives you a completely different kind of She's perspective. She's very vulnerable, mm. yeah. But, you know, all good actors are vulnerable. How, how sensitive uh, and vulnerable would you describe your, yourself? I think I'm probably more confident than, than Katie. Reasons I, I don't know why she isn't more confident is what I would say. Hmm. So I think I have, um, especially when you know you can go again, do you know what I mean? If you're in front of a camera or you're in front of a microphone, you can always go again. It's because on stage I get nervous tonight. Are you all coming tonight? Oh, that's not a big yes. Are you all coming tonight? Yes. Yay. Wonderful. Tickets still available, £10, straight to the box office afterwards. <laughs> that's where I get nervous, yeah. I mean, what's, I, mean I, I think there's an obvious answer to this, certainly. Television and, and stage performance. Now, you, your preparation or your routine must be very different, uh, yeah. depending on what you're doing. It's mainly to do with memory, really. If you're doing something for stage, it has to bang through to the long-term memory, and that's really hard work. And the older you get, the harder it becomes. 
just line learning. But your shallow memory almost improves uh, the older you get. So, you know, when I was doing EastEnders, I could get through a whole day an enormous amount of dialogue but by the end of the day I couldn't tell you <laughs> I couldn't tell you the lines from the first scene mm. but I could tell you now audition speeches I did when I was 15 and 16 wow because okay. it's because it was you know it, it was you had to be one take so it had to be that thorough so um, when you um, when you perform the same play uh, on stage and you know all around the country as you have been with uh, with my gay best friends, mm. I mean how, um, how how difficult is it to bring bring some of that dialogue back instantly if you if, if you're in a scene? I mean I mean I'm I'm going to equate this to when I'm at work. I don't concentrate as much as I should do at work. I've got an office job, and I my mind wanders. Now, when you do something enough, even if you're, I don't know, a pilot, which is a bit concerning, actually, or an undertaker, certain things are going to start just seeming normal. So do you start thinking of housework when you're on stage performing? Not, not <laughs> when I'm doing my gay best friend, because it's, we have days off. We don't do it every single night. Mm. I have to, I've never done that West End thing. I've never done a play. I think four months is the longest I've ever done one play. I've done mm. three plays mm. over two and a half years, but they ran in repertoire with the RSC. But I'm told that at the five month mark, you go a bit mad. <laughs> <laughs> You've done it, haven't you? No, I've just done it, yeah. Oh. But yeah, I think you do yeah. do shopping lists and things, yes. And I have caught myself going, off on, a, going off on one. But there's something happens when your cue's coming up. It's like you, there's, you, there's this kind of zone thing that happens. Mm. And you're, you're brought back into the moment. Oh, it's, I find it absolutely fascinating listening to how people actually prepare to perform because clearly the success is how effortless it seems. And for That's the trick, to, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. And the more effort that goes in, the easier it yeah. appears. I mean, look at stand-up comics, you know, mm. which I think is the hardest art form. I mean, you, you, Toby, this evening, oh. uh, he's got stand-up comic and Doctor Who fans. What an audience. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> he's amazing. Yes. He's, he's, he's so talented. Yes, yeah. yes, incredible, incredible. Okay, I, I think I'd like to ask uh, the audience whether or not is, they have any questions for Louise. I'm, I'm sure you've got one or two. Can, can you see anybody here? Can you see? I can see. Hand. Oh, where's a hand? Okay. Just... Do you know, I was asked to write it, and I started, and I cried so much, <laughs> I stopped. Because I, I just, I thought, well, and there's a bit of me that's going, ah, oh, who cares? Do you know, oh, bless you, <laughs> bless you. But it's, I, I'm not sure, I think if I do do it, it would be a kind of mosaic. You know, there'll be some some stories that we'll, I'll, I'll tell in absolute detail and then I'll gloss over five or six years, uh, ten years. And there's, there's also, you know, I thought it should be called something like Diary of a Diva. Um, but then in my head I'm yeah. thinking, oh, I can't write that, I can't do that, I can't put that in. Because, you know, stuff I don't want my kids to know. <laughs> so it ended up being sort of notebook of a schoolgirl rather than Diary mm. of a Diva. So... I don't, I don't know is the short answer, but I do write the odd bit and I keep a diary, so... I was, was going to ask, how, how attractive is, is writing a project like that, uh, whether or not it's about you um, or, or about uh, another one of your, your stories, another idea? I'm I mean. much more interested in, mm. in fiction and, um, and I like to write collaboratively. Right. Um, 
um, Nigel runs these writers' workshops, which are so inspiring. Mm. And mm. a group of, you know, anywhere between six to 12 of us go off to a castle for a, for a week <laughs> and just have the best time. I and mean, it's a big party, but it's also incredibly creative and incredibly supportive. Mm. And I come away very fired up from that. And that's the time when I write the best, after those after those weeks, right, this, 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 you yeah. know, it just pours out. Presumably you're at the point whereby you, you bring your everyday life into your, into your writing. It's a question I asked on the writers panel yeah. as well. Um, and a lot of the time they listen back to some of their work after it's been produced. And I think, oh, that, I, I know why that's come out in my script now. Exactly and you that. Had the same thing. And, but you don't know at the time. No. You, don't, you have no idea how that arrived there. And then you go, oh, yes, of course, that happened to me or <laughs> that happened to my brother or... Have you ever been surprised by hearing something yes. and then suddenly thought, oh, I didn't think I'd write that? Or, Actually, yeah. this play tonight, mm. it wasn't till a very dear friend of mine was in the audience, I thought, oh my God, this is, I've taken three stories from her life <laughs> and put them in here and I thought I'd made them up. <laughs> and I, I said to her afterwards, I said, I'm so sorry I should have warned you. It wasn't until I was speaking them on stage that I realised that that... That, that's where it came from. And what was her response? Oh, she said, oh, it's fine, oh, it's fine. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it'd be a great compliment, <coughs> really, but, uh, but great. Do you have any other questions for Louise? Uh, let's, let's, right, let's go right to the very back. Just wait for the mic, great. Hi, Louise. Um, it's quite common in um, modern television for um, writers to, to write for the rhythms and patterns of a character. At what point do you think during, you know, your filming of the original series with Tom, do you think the, the, the writers ever actually um, started to work to your delivery pattern as the character? Or was it simply a case of a kind of um, a situation where you as a performer and the writers were working together? I think uh, it kind of worked in reverse for me. I think they were right on Leela at the beginning. And then I had to, unless it was Robert Holmes writing, I had to, I had to kind of haul it back to Leela, as it were. Horror of Fang Rock, particularly, came in a very different rhythm to Leela's rhythm, and there were a lot of screams in there, and a lot, of, and I just thought, no, that's not the, that's not the way, for her. So I felt I had to haul, haul her back, hold on to her, and. Then we didn't work so closely with the writers as they do now. I don't think the writer has quite the respect that they deserved then. You know, they've really explored her, her education, her emotional level, her, her relationships, uh, her morality. I think it's been mined in a way that it never was back in the 70s. And, you know, the better the material, the you're only as good as your material, really. And I'm, because I'm classically trained and I really believe in honoring the text to the last comma or full stop, if you possibly can, um, uh, it, it only helps when you're given those, those monologues that go into her inner self. Mm. I think when you certainly look at the, um, the, your, your first three stories um, of season 15, 14, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to refer to statistics and lists. It makes them, makes them happy, apart from when I get it wrong. 
<laughs> um, I'm, I'm talking about your first three stories, really, but I think the concept of Leader was quite clear. Uh, you know, it was the Eliza Doolittle. Yes. Um, I mean, they kind of got a little bit lost the following season uh, when Graham Williams took over. Um, is, is that the point? Again, dovetailing into that really well-put question, is that the point where you think that they, they weren't looking at the character or your, your talents as an actress so much and just thinking, well, it's just an assistance? I think, uh, I think both those things. Uh, and I think my Louise Jameson's craft was being um, mowed down, ignored, mm. not respected. I felt like what I had to offer wasn't being listened to, to be honest. Yeah. So it was time to move back to Shakespeare. <laughs> and that was the reason why you eventually decided to leave at mm -hmm. the end of that, of that season. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'd like to pick up on one thing that you mentioned to me last year, which was new to me, but you were, you were invited back at the point where Tom had decided to, to move on. Well, I don't think Tom knew at that point. JNT said, come back and oversee Tom leaving and Peter joining and okay. come back for yeah. a whole season. And I said I'd come back for two stories. But that wasn't good enough for, for Mr. Nathan Turner, so I, it didn't happen. I think, I'm not sure if I'm right, you might be able to tell me, but I think Tenko, I wouldn't have been available for Tenko if I'd I done. don't think so. I think Tenko was 81 or 82. 81. So, 81. 81. So, so if I'd yes, come back for a season. There could have been, an, there would have been clash. overlap, yeah, certainly. And Tenko is... And I wouldn't have missed Tenko, no. <laughs> as you said. But I think, so. you know, Blanche and Leela are very similar in many ways. You know, they're both, mm. you, you said earlier, on uneducated but intelligent, they've got no censorship between their brain and their mouth, they're, <laughs> they're feisty, they're wily, they're street-wise, jungle-wise, mm. you know, they, they, um, I think they're very, very similar characters. I was originally offered Rose, do you all know Tenko, am I talking into the blue? I was originally offered Rose and they said come in and meet Ken Riddington, Pennant said come and meet Ken Riddington who was producing it, and I went in and he said, oh, no, you're much too much of a tart <laughs> to play Rose. He said, I, I think you should play Blanche. And they locked me in a room with seven scripts. Uh, and I, weird position of, you know, having to read them and make a decision. I, I was allowed to choose. And although it was three less mm. episodes, and although it was, I didn't get a trip to Singapore, uh, um, Blanche just went off the page. I just thought, I have to play this woman. Mm. Um, and it meant I could go and um, do, a, do a play at Bromley called Whose Life Is It Anyway, where I met my eldest son's father. So my son wouldn't exist if I'd accepted <laughs> Rose. Isn't that weird? Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Because you, you've often spoken about how affectionately you remember Tenko. Yes. Would, would you say that's the most um, enjoyable telly job you've had? I've never laughed so much on a job in all my life. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Because it's set in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. But I think because the material was so desperate, we, we just went a bit, like nurses do, you know, we just went a bit mad at the end of the day. <laughs> Nurses go mad, do they, at the end of the well, day? Well, isn't aren't they, aren't they renowned for... Have you got any nurses in the audience? Aren't, aren't they renowned for... I'm a little bit worried about getting ill at the end of the day now. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, anyway let's, uh, no. let's go back to the audience. Any, any further questions? This, this chap in the front row here. Hello. So can you Hello. wait for the mic just as you're near the front? Thank you. Hello, Louise Jameson. Hello. Hello. Um, when I was a boy, I watched The Sunmakers and assumed it was about 20 degrees Celsius 
When I saw the DVD copy uh, re very recently, it was pointed out that it was a cold day that day when you filmed, and uh, I could uh, and this uh, this time I did notice uh, the breath condensing in, in the air. My question is: What months when you were there? What months did filming take place? And secondly, why did they not bring back? Uh, the Daleks during your run and it just feels like compensation that you got to uh, film with the Sontarans uh, at least just before you went <laughs> uh, so that's two questions <coughs> We're not, I can't remember what month I'm afraid uh, it was one of 12 definitely <laughs> but it so, was cold, so. it was one of the mm. coldest days filming I have ever done in my life and I remember coming off set and uh, my hands were white and somebody asked me to sign an autograph and I couldn't, I couldn't hold the pen uh, to sign it. I had to wait like 10 minutes before I could sign it. And it was a rare moment of affection from Tom and he literally wrapped me up in his scarf oh. like a mummy. And when it came to the take, he kind of <laughs> spun me out. <laughs> so I was ready to go. Uh, what was the other question? Or, oh or yes, do you know, when I got the job, I sat down on my little put-you-up in my little living room in my little flat, just thrilled that I got the series, going, ah, oh, I can put those shelves up now, I can afford that, and I'll meet the Daleks. And neither of them happened. <laughs> so I had to wait till Big Finish gave me a Dalek on yes, audio. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, which you can, uh, you can hear, Energy of the Daleks, written by Nick Briggs. So, last question. Um, someone who, uh, yeah, go on, okay, let's go, thank you. Hi, Louise. Hello. Hi, yeah. Um, yeah, my question is, uh, who do you like working with most, uh, John Leeson or K-9? <laughs> uh, they kind of merge. Um, John Leeson. Uh, they had this weird system at the BBC whereby you had to hire own props, so we couldn't afford to have K-9 in the rehearsal room but we could afford to have John Leeson. So we literally ran around on all fours being K-9. And I think it really worked uh, to our advantage because when we got into the studio and we had this tin dog, we could relate to it as if it was, <coughs> as if it was John Leeson, who's got a little pug face anyway. <laughs> do you know about the story? Do you all know the story of him in America? He went to a convention. He was the only guest, and he wasn't coming on until the evening. So he... He dressed like a fan. He did the cap and the cameras and the badges and the and he got round and he talked to as many people as possible and they had a sound alike contest. He didn't tell anyone who he was. <laughs> they had a sound alike contest in the in the evening. So, uh, um, and he came second. <laughs> 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 and uh, so the, whoever it was won their prize and they said now well the real John Leeson please and he ran down through the audience and of course he'd spoken to everyone during the day so they were just thrilled with yeah. the kind of scan. They so long as it. David Briley didn't win that's yeah. the most important oh, thing. <laughs> anyway it's been a pleasure speaking to you Louise I hope it's been enjoyable for you as well. Make sure you come and see her tonight on this stage in My Gay Best Friends and for it's the time being, yeah. Louise Jameson, everybody. Thank you. 
But there we go. An, an amazing interview with, with the wonderful, delightful Louise Jameson. Even more amazing, too, that you were running pretty much scriptless for uh, half that interview. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really my fault. Not completely, anyway. But certainly, I mean, you, you may not have been able to tell uh, from, from what you've just heard. But Louise was on stage about three minutes before I was and she was on her own and uh, the timings had gone a little bit wrong and therefore I was kind of drop kicked onto stage uh, by <laughs> Stephen and I, I just had to start talking to her so I I, I did and then I realised that someone had moved my notes from the table which is where I'd left them uh, just before just before the interview had started so it wasn't until I could get a reference to not having any notes or leaving my pad in the dressing room that someone could go scurrying away trying to find them uh, by which point I think you know the interview had taken on a life of its own anyway and it, mm. it's not as if I was you know I use notes religiously but they are an immense comfort blanket or a security blanket when you're already nervous about uh, about going on stage but yes it was it was an interesting experience let's say there you go there you go well we do have some more uh, big blue box 2 coverage on the dwp feed if you head back to uh, the end of march in episode 194 there's uh, more interviews that were uh, recorded at this convention with the uh, various doctor who stars so if you haven't already listened to that go back and check it out it's just as awesome Okay, onwards and upwards. We'll be back next week with more Doctor Who podcast campervan goodness. Trevor, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. Oh, you say the nicest thing, James. You really do. No. I'll see you next time, hey? <laughs> Speak to you soon, everybody. Bye for now. Bye. That was the Doctor Who podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.